Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey, a podcast to encourage, educate, and equip you to care for children and youth through adoption, foster, and kinship care. Hosted by an adoptive mom with over 22 years of kinship and adoptive parenting experience, she's on this journey with you. Please welcome Sandra Flack. But the angel said to the woman, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. That is Matthew 28, verse 5. Welcome to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey. I'm your host, Sandra Flack. I hope you all enjoyed a wonderful Holy Week and celebration of our Lord's resurrection. Our Easter Sunday was a little different this year, and you know what? That's okay. For the first time in probably 25 years, I did not cook our traditional ham dinner. We went to church, but this year we went out to dinner. And I actually opted for this change because the day after Easter, so for some of you, it's today, the day you're listening to this podcast, if you listen in real time. Um, So Monday, the day after Easter, my husband and I and Slava, our 17-year-old, are flying to Colorado Springs. As I mentioned uh, in a previous episode, I've been given an amazing opportunity to collaborate on a project with Focus on the Family. So I'll be recording a couple short video modules about fetal alcohol spectrum disorders um, that will be featured as resources on their Wait No More um, page of their website. So Wait No More is the adoption and foster care extension of Focus on the Family's ministry. So this is a huge honor. So if you think of me while you're listening right now, say a prayer. Um, You know, I I love to do uh, my podcasting and I speak publicly all the time and I lead trainings and stuff. But video, a little bit outside of my comfort zone, but I recognized the opportunity from the Lord and you know, my yes is on the table and I'm stepping through that door and doing it, maybe doing it a little scared, but I'm doing it. So if you could pray, you know, say a prayer for me while you're listening to this, um, I would greatly appreciate it. But in addition to that part of our trip, um, after the a couple of days in Colorado, we will be driving up to Wyoming to visit our daughter, Missy, and her husband, and my grandson, Killian. Um, if you follow this podcast, then you may be familiar with Killian. He was born last year with a congenital heart defect and has had three major surgeries since he was born. Um, and I was able to visit him in the hospital um, all three times. For I was there for his birth and then two of the other surgeries. And he's uh, now he's home and he's doing wonderfully. I haven't seen him since October. Um, we FaceTime all the time. And my husband, though, has not met him in person at all yet. So we're using this opportunity to be able to go and um, spend some time with them. So we are super excited. So because of all of that, the trip and packing and planning and all of the things, Easter was different. Um, we went out to dinner with some of our adult kids and our, our family, and it was good, you know. Um, most importantly, Christ is risen. He is our hope. God is good. 
and here we are. So today, I will be continuing my series on the primary characteristics of fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, or FASD. Um, I've been here and there sharing an episode on one of the uh, symptoms. Uh, There's many symptoms, and I devote a whole episode to one symptom. I've been doing that since I believe last October. So they're sort of scattered throughout our library of episodes. So if this is the first one you're listening to, you can please feel free to scroll back through and catch all of them. Um, But before I dive into today's symptom that we're going to focus on, we have some important announcements. Natalie Vecchione of the FASD Hope Podcast and Sandra Flack of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey Podcast would like to invite you to join their Hope for the FASD Journey, a virtual support community for parents and caregivers raising individuals with an FASD, diagnosed or not. This faith-based community includes an online bi-monthly support group, a monthly VIP conversation, and a private Facebook group which includes a video devotional from Natalie and Sandra every Saturday. To register, visit justicefororphansny.org forward slash training forward slash F-A-S-D. And... Coming up, I've got some great training available as well. Wednesday, April 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, I am teaching an online three-hour deep dive into FASD using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. And in May, I have a free lunch and learn, which is an introduction to FASD. That is on May 11th um, and at one o'clock Eastern as well. And another three hours. So I offer the lunch and learns monthly and I try to offer a three hour deep dive monthly. So there, there's the one on April 19th and then there's another three hour deep dive um, on May 24th and that's Wednesday May 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Um, The deep dives take you deeper into um, FASD using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. I also just put on the calendar um, the 18-hour deep dive. So it's kind of like the deepest deep dive. And that one, um, it's it's six consecutive Wednesday nights, um, starting June 1st, it's at 7 p.m. Eastern time. Um, and that's that's really unpacking. We, we meet for six three-hour sessions. Um, so if you're interested in um, whether you're a parent, a caregiver, a professional, a family member of someone with an FASD, um, whatever what, whatever it is, if this is if this is resonating with you and you really want to go deep and learn more about FASD and learn how to apply the neurobehavioral model, um, then check out my website so that you can um, learn about all of the upcoming trainings and register even for the the lunch and learn, which is free, you have to register so that you can get the zoom link because these the ones that I'm announcing right now are all online. They're all virtual. I do also do in-person training. So if that is something that your group is interested in, um, if you have a group of parents or a support group or an agency or an organization or or anyone who would want um, in-person training, I travel and I do um, for for adoptive and foster parent retreats and conferences and things, I do uh, do in-person trainings as well. But the ones I just mentioned are all virtual um, and you can learn about 
all of those things at our website. Just go to justicefororphansny.org, click on events, and you will see the upcoming trainings that are scheduled that you can register for. But if you just want to learn about all of the resources that we have surrounding FASD, you would click on training and the drop down menu Um, you would see FASD and you would click on that. So check it out. There's a link in the show notes. You can get to our website. It's all on there. Uh, Also, we really want to make sure that you are equipped for this parenting journey and our episodes that we did, our podcast episodes we did with Dr. Jared Brown, phenomenal. Some of our most popular episodes. We did 21 bonus episodes with Dr. Brown. He specializes in trauma, FASD, autism, like all the things brain. Um, This series of episodes focuses on topics of particular interest to adoptive and foster parents, We talk about the prenatal trauma, complex trauma, screen time, executive dysfunction, um, just working memory, cognitive flexibility, like anything you could possibly think of that has to do with the brain. Dr. Brown knows something about it, and then he kind of takes us deep into the weeds with it. So it's a little more sciencey, a little more, um, you know, kind of from that clinical approach. Um, so very, very interesting. So I hope you check them out. They're all in our our. If you scroll through our library of episodes, um, they're just they are they are labeled bonus episodes, so that you'll you'll be able to see them. But they're all there, and there are twenty one of them. So to not miss a single podcast episode, I recommend you subscribe and that way it shows up on your phone or your device every Monday. We drop a brand new episode every Monday. Um, I will be recording some new episodes with Dr. Brown in the near future. So when we do bonus episodes with Dr. Brown, they typically drop on Fridays. So some weeks you get two from us. So Um, Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. Um, We want to make sure that you are um, encouraged and equipped for your unique parenting journey as an adoptive parent, a foster parent, a kinship caregiver. Um, We're here for you. So now back to the topic that we were going to cover today. Uh, Like I mentioned several months ago, I started a series of episodes on the primary characteristics of FASD. If you're new to the podcast, you can scroll back through. Um, and, And also when I talk about FASD, I find a lot of times parents and caregivers don't realize that that's really what's going on because it is most often not diagnosed or misdiagnosed, and you don't even know. You don't know what's going on. You're just dealing with behaviors and things are crazy and you're not sure if you're gonna survive and all of that um, when when it's quite possibly um, the child that you're raising was prenatally exposed to alcohol. Um, maybe you don't see that listed, but maybe several other drugs were listed that the birth mom um, consumed and Typically, we find if drugs are being used, then alcohol is almost always, you know, they go hand in hand. Um, So lots of reasons why kiddos aren't getting diagnosed, but they really, really need to. And the more I have learned as a parent of two adopted kids with um, fetal alcohol syndrome, the more I have learned about this and the more I've gotten formal training on it, the more I realize every parent needs to recognize the symptoms and be equipped 
on how to uh, best accommodate and support our kids so that they can be successful because this is a lifelong brain-based condition. So the, uh, review the primary symptoms um, and then we'll get to the one that we're gonna focus on today. So, so far we have covered dismaturity and that is when the child, um, the person tends to act much younger than their birthday age. Okay, it's not immaturity, it's actually called dismaturity and it's part of the disability. Uh, Impulsivity, okay, that's a big one. They lack impulse control, right? Memory problems, difficulty with abstract concepts. We talked about managing time and managing money, things like that. Difficulty predicting outcomes, sensory processing challenges, right? Whether whether they're oversensitive um, or undersensitive, right? Um, and also difficulty generalizing information. So those are the ones we've covered so far. And today we're gonna focus on executive function. Um, so now for a, a more scientific kind of in-depth conversation on executive function, check out my interview with Dr. Jared Brown because he definitely took us deep in the weeds on executive function on the episode that um, we talked about that on. Um, But I am going to approach executive function difficulties as a primary symptom of FASD specifically and what it might look like, you know, in your home and with your kiddos, um, and then explore some ways to accommodate the challenges um, that are brought on by executive function challenges. So um, before I dive into that um, symptom, I want to reiterate why I talk about FASD. Again, of course, I can't diagnose it. You know, I'm just a parent with lived experience and some formal training. Um, My husband and I have five adopted children. Like I said, two are diagnosed with fetal alcohol syndrome. And as I have traveled this parenting journey and become trauma-informed, I realized that a big piece of the puzzle was missing in my understanding of my kids and how to parent them, right? I I did the TBRI thing and, and the connected child and the empowered to connect training, and that all works until it kind of sort of doesn't. Like you're applying, when you're applying all of that, the connected parenting things, which I highly recommend and endorse, I became a parent trainer of that too while we were walking that journey. Um, It works, but then if you're parenting a child with a brain-based disability, which is technically what FASD is, you'll find at some point you're you're missing something like you're like okay wait we're we're attached uh, we've disarmed fear um, we're empowering we're connecting we're doing all these things and we're seeing some improvements but then there's like these things and I don't know what to do with these things it seems like you know maybe things aren't really working like you thought they would work and and all of that so you know while I absolutely agree with and endorse TBRI and, and the uh, connected parenting stuff, but there will come a time, and it did for my family, where we needed something way more, something specific for what was going on, and that is, um, you know, FASD. So, uh, you know, like I said, uh, and if a few years ago, things were unraveling. Um, and that's when I took my deep dive into FASD because I wanted to know more about the one thing I didn't know a whole lot about. And that's when I realized, whew, boy, I didn't know what I didn't know. 
fast forward to today, uh, while I don't consider myself an expert by any means, I am a parent with over 20 years of experience with trauma and prenatal exposure. Most of those 20 years, I had no idea what I was doing. I didn't understand the impact of trauma. Um, I didn't have any idea that prenatal exposure to alcohol was even a thing with my kids. Uh, But now I am a certified facilitator of the FACETS Neurobehavioral Model, and I teach and I train and I speak on um, FASD. And the more I've learned, the more passionate I am about advocating and equipping foster and adoptive and kinship caregivers. Um, It's so, so important because recent studies indicate that one in 20 school-age kids in the United States have been prenatally exposed to alcohol. So that's like at least one kid in every classroom. Every general education, you know, regular classroom, there's at least one kid who's been prenatally exposed, most likely not diagnosed. And out of all of the population of those exposed, a disproportionate number of those kiddos are in the child welfare system. And again, most are either not diagnosed or they are misdiagnosed. I always say they often have a whole alphabet soup of diagnoses, um, you know, connected to them. But really, while they, you know, they may or may not be accurate diagnoses, they probably all stem from uh, prenatal exposure to alcohol. So I believe it is imperative for all adoptive and foster parents to be FASD informed and equipped with brain-based parenting skills like the neural behavioral model. You can find lots of resources on my website, like I mentioned, justicefororphansny.org, along with our online support group and our workshops. So if you're looking for more, we definitely have more to offer you. But for now, let's unpack executive function challenges as a symptom of FASD. Like I said, Dr. Brown, um, we've talked about it before. We have an episode that he takes us deep in the weeds. He calls executive function the boss of the brain. And I love that. You know, it takes place in the in the prefrontal cortex, that front part of the brain. Um, and it's responsible for tasks like organizing and planning, transitioning, goal setting, self-regulation, attention and focusing, short-term memory, and impulse control. So when you've got working, great executive function, all of those things are moving and a-grooving. But if there's been prenatal exposure to alcohol, executive function is usually severely impacted. Like it's, it's definitely one of those main things. So think about your kiddo, you know, When you think of your kid, do they struggle with any of these brain tasks that I just read off? Organizing, planning, transitioning, goal setting, self-regulation, attention, short-term memory, and impulse control. I'm going to unpack several of these, what it might look like um, if you're you know, feel like you're dealing with it in your home and not really realizing, um, you know, how it could present. Um, And then... We'll look at some, uh, maybe some strategies that you could try um, to implement to help support your kiddos. Um, so organizing and planning, let's start there. When a person has challenges with organizing and planning, they might have a hard time with seemingly, they seem simple expectations like 
cleaning their room or organizing their schoolwork or a project, right? Mm -hmm. Knowing where to start and what steps to do and which order to do them and knowing when a task is considered complete, those things are really, really hard when a kiddo has challenges with their executive functioning. So when you send a kid to their room, you know, to go clean it, and you go check on how the bedroom is coming, and you find the child in the middle of the room, maybe sitting on the floor playing with that long lost toy or book or video game or something that they discovered in the pile on the floor. You know, and I'm guilty here, I'll raise my hand. We're tempted to give that lecture and issue those consequences because, you know, they didn't obey, right? They didn't obey. They, they, they were in there. They weren't doing what we told them to do. And they've been in there all day long and they're just wasting time and they're being lazy and they're being difficult. And we tell them all the time that they need to do this, but yet they still don't do it. And then we want to, you know, remove privileges, issue consequences, give the lecture. They start having a meltdown and it's a big, stressful, you know, mess, right? But what if the reason they didn't get the room cleaned isn't disobedience or lack of initiative, but maybe their brain just couldn't figure out where to start or what to do next, right? That takes organizing and planning and a lot of other brain tasks at the same time. And that's really, really difficult for a, a, an individual who's been prenatally exposed. So we need to take that into consideration. It may not be a difficult, disobedient kiddo. It may be actually their brain has a hard time figuring out how to do that. Just like goal setting, that's another difficult brain task when uh, you have fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. Um, deciding to accomplish a task and then planning the steps and calculating the time to complete each step and getting a you know a project done at a certain time these are tasks that a prenatally exposed brain usually cannot do at least not without a great amount of support and help because if we look at the other symptoms the the organizing and planning have a hard time with that uh, managing time have a hard time with that cause and effect and all of these different things they have a hard time with. So independently being able to set goals and work on a bigger project, um, they have a really, really hard time doing that. Transitions, huh, another challenge. Transitions occur when we switch from one task we are focusing on to another, like when the bell rings at school and it's time to hop up and move to the next class or when there's a fire drill, right? And the, the alarm goes off and everybody has to stop what they're doing and file out the door. Uh, when a child is playing you know, their favorite game or video game or watching a video or whatever they may be engrossed in, and then we announce, oh, it's time for dinner or it's time to do your homework or it's time for bed or whatever it's time for, interrupting what they were doing um, there's going to be, you know, we experience the pushback, the struggle, the meltdown, right? It doesn't go well. And this is even where perseveration comes in. Um, when a person gets hyper-focused on something and they can't, like they're kind of like stuck there, they have very rigid thinking, they can't switch gears, they can't move on to the next thing. Um, I, We have dealt with this, like 
our kids do this like every day, all day long, it feels like sometimes, but I always assumed it probably had something to do with their disability, but I didn't know it even had a name until I was listening to another podcast um, by uh, Jeff Noble's pod- podcast, FASD Success. And he had a guest on and they were talking about perseveration. And I'm like, what is that? And the more I listened, they were describing what goes on all of the time at our house. And I'm like, huh, it has a name. Huh, who'd have thunk? But you know, when it has a name and you really can confirm that this is coming from a brain-based condition, then it's a little bit easier to extend some grace, be compassionate and offer some support um, and have some extra patience because it really requires patience when they're experiencing, when they're stuck in that perseveration. Um, It can drive a parent crazy, but it can also be a strength. Um, Like I think I've told a story before on here, you know, one of my boys Um, when we order something, if they're looking for something or they saved their money and we ordered something online and it gets shipped, they want to know what day it's going to come. And then every day we have to check, you know, and track the package. And when it's, you know, whatever day that the package is supposed to come, they're on red alert all day long, hyper-focused on the delivery or arrival of this package. I've had a kid drive up to the UPS warehouse looking for a package because he felt like it should have been here. I've had a kid call our local post office because it was supposed to come and they didn't bring it. Um, I've actually had the post office bring a package, like come a second time with a package for said kid. I couldn't even believe it myself, but you know, he's got this huge, amazing personality and that suits him well. Um, And he can get things done, but he can drive a mama crazy for sure. Or I should say the perseveration can drive a mama crazy. but that's that's what it looks like, right? And you know, you just don't interrupt them because they cannot pivot once they're in that zone. Whatever they're doing, whatever they're doing that they're perseverating over, it's it's like almost futile to try to, you know, I mean, I try to distract, like you can try to get them to switch gears, but it's often it's not successful because it's their brain. Their brain is on that, you know, path and it's really hard to get them off of that. We'll talk a little bit about some strategies we can use with that, but let's get first to attention, you know, paying attention, focusing, um, which is a big part of executive function also. And so many of our kids are diagnosed with ADHD, probably because of this piece, right? They have difficulty focusing or staying on task without help. And I don't even have to describe what that looks like because you probably live with that every day. I know I do, Um, but, and we'll get to some strategies shortly. Also, short-term memory is another one. Um, Short-term memory is affected by prenatal alcohol exposure. I am often amazed at the things my kids can remember from like last year or even farther back. I know one year, Um, one of our guys was really little. And that year for Christmas, I reached into the box of decorations to pull out a decoration and I cut my finger on one of the pieces of the nativity had broken, one of the like ceramic pieces. And I found out that a bunch of the pieces were broken. So it was like somebody had thrown the box down the stairs the year before, maybe. I don't know how it happened, but I ended up, I, I purchased a whole new nativity set and that was that. 
Then the next year, when we were unpacking the Christmas decorations, he said, you remember when you cut your finger because the nativity was broken last year? He remembered that. So he can remember that, but a lot of times he can't remember where he put his shoes or his cell phone or his wallet, you know, or they can't remember their where they put their eyeglasses when they took them off when they were doing something. There's just short-term things, you know, that they they can read a new word on one page and then you turn the page and they see the same word again on the next page and they have no idea what the word is, like they've never seen it before. Things like that, short-term memory, um, can be can be frustrating for them as well as for us. Um, and we're going to look at that. And then, of course, impulse control, which is a big one, um, or lack of impulse control, we should say, with our kiddos. Um, our kids can be so impulsive that it is scary. Uh, they'll get an idea in their head and they'll just go do it. It seems like they don't even think about it. They don't think it through. Um, and probably they don't think it through like the way we would want them to. Um, I've told this story on here before about my son who decided one day to drive to the library or not drive, ride his bike to the library, something he's never done before because we live like five miles from town. And to once you get to town, there is like a five, like literally a five red light intersection where there's big trucks and a lot it's a state highway um, and he had to drive his bike through there um, and get to the library and he came home and shared with me that he had been to the library which totally shocked me because I had no idea that I never thought he would even think to do that because he doesn't like to read. Reading is very hard for him. He reads at a very um, lower grade level. And um, so what would inspire him to even think that? Well, I figured out why he came up with that idea. Because that very morning, as part of our summer reading, we were reading a story and some a group of kids in the story rode their bikes to a library to research something. So that planted this little seed and he just decided to go for it and he rode his bike. And it was pretty scary for mom when I figured out, you know, when he came home and told me that because he, I didn't know where he was. I would have never in a million years thought he would have gone to town. Um, he didn't have ID on him. He didn't have a cell phone at the time. We had never practiced or went over what's safe and not safe in a situation like that. It was scary. It was really scary. And um, that's the, that lack of executive function, that 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 um, effect on it, you know, executive function helps us to control our impulses, right? It helps us to have that cause and effect, that reasoning like, oh, I shouldn't ride my bike to town because it's dangerous or I could get hurt or I could get lost. My parents won't know where I am. Um, or I shouldn't climb onto the roof of the garage because I could fall off and get hurt. There's another one, you know, fill in the blank. I'm sure you have your own scenario where they did something impulsive because it seems like they're not thinking, right? Um, it's a concern because it can put our kids in really dangerous situations. Um, and it's, it's there's so many, I could give countless and I'm, I'm sure you could too, but um, it's a safety concern. So with all of this, what do we do when our kids have deficits with executive function. 
Well, I know Dr. Jared Brown in the episode that we did together on executive function, he recommends getting an executive function coach. And I wasn't able to find one in my area. I was looking and I reached out to the school. Um, It seemed to kind of be a dead end for me here in my neck of the woods. Um, But there are a lot of accommodations that we can make to help support our kids who have executive function challenges. So we'll break down again the ones that the, the the examples that I just gave, uh, and we'll look at some strategies. So when it comes to organizing and planning and the goal setting, first, and really with everything, we need to take into consideration their developmental age, which is often much younger than their birthday age, right? So if you have a 12-year-old, and most of the time they're really... um, you know, more like a six-year-old in in a lot of ways, cognitively and whatnot, behaviorally, Um, or if you have, you know, an 18-year-old and they're more like a nine-year-old or however, um, always, always take that into consideration in every situation and just consider them as being that younger age and set your expectations accordingly. Taking that into consideration and the fact that they have prenatal exposure, um, if you suspect that, um, because that prenatal exposure to alcohol impacts the individual's ability to plan and organize and set goals and meet goals. They're going to have a hard time with those things, um, not because they're difficult, not because they're lazy, not because they're disorganized, because they're lazy or whatever reason. We have to recognize that they need help. This is a brain based condition, they may very well need one-on-one support. So they they might not be able to set the goal. They're not also going to be able to break the goal down into those smaller steps that you have to um, follow in order to meet the goal in the end. So someone is going to need to help them to do that. So when it comes, if the end goal is to clean their room or to complete a multi-step project, right? We as the parent or caregiver, must break down that task into the smaller steps for them and then give them one step at a time to complete. And and that's so helpful with anything, whether it's at school or at home or in the workplace, smaller steps, one step at a time, help them stick with that structure. Like it, it, it's really up to us to be able to help them with that. And depending how old they are, we can ask them what they need help with, if they need help with something. Um, And they may or may not be able to answer. They might not even know what they need help with. Um, But either way, we need to provide the support that they need. And we need to stop fighting and lecturing and issuing consequences um, for, for tasks if it has anything to do with a task associated with executive function, we need to really step back. Um, We need to, whether there's a diagnosis or not, with executive functioning challenges or any of the primary symptoms that we've discussed, FASD is an invisible brain-based condition. The way their brain works must always be taken into consideration. We always have to think brain. Can my child do this? Can their brain actually do this? You know, and, and maybe they can with help and support. And then we provide the help and support that they need. And they might always need help and support with that. Not a one and done kind of thing. 
always looking at the brain, okay? Transitioning is another big one that our kids need help with. And often, the best way to handle a transition is by forewarning them. Let them know in advance and provide reminders as the change draws closer. Setting a timer works for some kids. You know, we could say in 30 minutes, you're gonna have to stop playing video games and um, do your homework, right? Or come to dinner, whatever it is it's gonna be. And then set a timer and every five minutes give a reminder, but not a like, you know, not a rude reminder, but it could be a playful, you know, some a playful tone in our voice reminder. Um, because sometimes, Reminders can agitate our kids, especially if they're stressed out about the transition. Um, I find that if I give reminders, they need the reminders, but they can often sort of bark or snap back at me because they don't wanna hear the reminder, yet they need the reminder. Um, one of mine has a really, really hard time when we, when we go away, we go up to, we have a camp um, up in the mountains that we go to frequently because he thrives there. He does so much better there. It's more peaceful. It's a slower pace. Um, he just does so well up there. But when it comes time to going home, whether we've been there for a weekend or a week, um, you know, there, we have a, we follow sort of the same routine of cleaning up, packing up, loading up the car, shutting off the lights, locking up and driving home. But we wake up that morning, we're supposed to go home. And even though we pretty much follow a, a routine and do it the same way every time, he has such a hard time. He's almost not even able to help us um, do any of the steps uh, and just gets very grouchy when it comes to loading the things into the car. It's a transition that he doesn't like because he would prefer to stay at camp. He doesn't want to go home. So he has a hard time with making that transition. There have been times where he'll actually go sit in the car and listen to music while my husband and I are doing the packing up and cleaning up. Um, not because he's not cooperative or not contributing, his brain has such a hard time with the transition, it's almost easier to just have him stay out there. But the thing is, is we have a three hour ride in the car ahead of us and sometimes he's out there a whole extra hour early. He has a hard time. I did try something a little bit different this last time when we were up there. This time I gave him a couple of choices. Uh, do you wanna vacuum or do you wanna help dad load up stuff into his truck? Uh, and he opted to vacuum and I barely had to even tell him anything. He went and he got the vacuum and he went from room to room to room like we normally do. Um, and it really helped him, I think, regulate and focus because he stuck with it, did the whole place um, and did a great job. And he really transitioned better than normal. So you have to pay attention and, and to what they need. And there's not a one size fits all. It's individual, um, you know, unique to each one of our kids, each one of our kids, you know, everybody's individual, everybody's brain works differently. That's, that's, you know, neurodiversity. Um, but find a strategy that will work for your kiddo. Um, what worked for mine might not work for yours and vice versa, but find what works um, while keeping in mind this neurobehavioral approach. Always take into consideration the brain and what anybody's brain would need to be able to do for the task that you're considering and then 
considering your child, considering the individual, is that how their brain works? Is this something they normally have a hard time with? Is there a pattern here? Is this hard for them? Because if it is, then we need to look at accommodations. Maybe it's not even a, a reasonable expectation when we take into consideration their, their brain-based disability. So transitioning. The next one is attention and focus. And we need, again, to take into consideration how their brain works, how it may have been affected by prenatal alcohol exposure and trauma. Focusing on schoolwork may be difficult if their brain is stuck or perseverating on something else. Um, I homeschool my 17-year-old. And if there is a distraction, if my cell phone rings, if the mailman pulls in, um, if someone stops by the house unexpectedly, um, the dog barks, I, my son won't be able to focus and until that distraction is resolved. So I, I don't even try. Like I don't make them sit there and try to focus. I have to wait until the distraction passes in order for him to be able to get back to, to focusing. Uh, because there's not going to be any learning happening in those moments anyway. So I, you know, I, I just sort of wait for that distraction to pass. I also intentionally don't answer my cell phone during school time because I know if I take a call, I lose my student. He leaves the room. He can't sit and do school. Even if it's something he was working on independently, he can't do it once he's been distracted like that. So we have to set up the environment so that they can be successful. And you know that means eliminating distractions whenever we can uh, and understanding that when they are distracted, we need to let it go and then come back to it. Physical activity tends to help um, with regaining focus. Um, offer short breaks. Uh, let them ride their bike for 15 minutes or jump on the trampoline, but not too long because too much activity will overstimulate them and have the opposite effect, and then they won't be able to settle down even more so. So you just have to, you know, work on work on these things. Pay attention to, you know, what distracts them and why they might not be able to focus, right? If there's something in their environment, if they're hungry and they're smelling food cooking, they're not going to be able to focus on what you want them to focus on. So take that into consideration. Short-term memory deficits. Again, very frustrating for the parent, but also for the child. They're frustrated when they can't find something that they lost. They can't remember something they need to remember. So we need to create a structured environment to help them. Routines, right, to make sure shoes are always put in the same place or their glasses are always, um, you know, wherever they're supposed to be if they're not wearing them or whatever it is they typically lose. Um, one summer when my youngest was about six, so this is going back a ways, I was so tired of never being able to find his shoes when it was time to leave the house. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, I bought a whole bunch of ex inexpensive flip-flops in all the different colors so that he'd always have a pair of shoes near the door and ready to go because he could never find his shoes. He'd kick them off wherever he was. If he was playing on the swings, he'd kick them off. Or if he was playing on the trampoline, he'd kick them off. Or if he came in the downstairs door or the upstairs door, we could never find matching shoes. 
Um, so I decided to get all these flip-flops and then there would always be a pair of flip-flops by the door. Only inevitably, we'd only be able to find two left two left flip-flops or two different color flip-flops. It still wasn't a foolproof solution because inevitably, you know, he'd have two flip two different color flip-flops on when we'd go somewhere. I just um, heard about some, a parent who keeps spare shoes in the car or sometimes they take their little ones, they have a toddler, they keep the this, this toddler's shoes in the car so that way they can carry the child out to the car seat, put them in the car seat and lo and behold, there's the shoes. So figure out what works best for you um, because short-term memory is something very real that they are challenged with. It's not going to just go away. You can't punish them or discipline them or sticker chart them into remembering. Um, we've got to help support them in that situation. So, um, you know, adjust our expectations, understanding they are going to have short-term memory problems and provide the necessary accommodations and supports to help them feel successful in their environment. Like we can modify the environment um, to be able to do that. So finally, we're back down to impulse control. Because impulsivity can lead to a safety problem, if our kiddos struggle with a lack of impulse control, we need to provide more supervision. It doesn't matter how old they are. We need to anticipate their impulses. What are they likely to do? And then try to put preventions in place. So don't leave your car keys in your car or keep your car locked. Uh, put your money and your keys away. Lock your purse in your closet. Lock away medications. Use security cameras in your rooms. Those, you know, they're pretty inexpensive nowadays. You can have a security camera in every room just to keep an eye on things. Um, I, I know of a parent who has a young adult who cannot live independently. Um, he, he has FAS um, and she has to go to work some days. So um, he's in his 20s, but she leaves the security cameras on um, so she can check on him while he is home. Um, and there, you know, there was a time where he forgot something in the microwave and it cooked too long and there was smoke coming out of it. So, um, you know, she has those security cameras to try to help with that. Um, just pay attention to what they're saying also. My boys tend to throw themselves under the bus because they don't really have that, you know, their brain doesn't always they don't remember to like hide a secret. <laughs> the impulsivity, the short-term memory, you know, the cause and effect, the higher reasoning, all of those things kind of work against them and they tend to throw themselves under the bus. So I pay attention to what they're saying and I can often figure out, you know, what they might have done or what they're planning to do. Um, you know, one of my kiddos was talking a lot about uh, hacking, hacking into the computer, hacking into the phone. And he really doesn't have great computer skills and he doesn't have access to much other than a cell phone with um, a lot of restrictions on it. But I realized that um, he was playing around with all of the tr trying to get the, into the passwords and trying to get the, um, the, the restrictions off of his device. And he kept locking it up. 
because he was trying to do that. So just by what he was saying, I was able to like, hmm, he's he's up to something. He's trying to do something. Um, so I was able I was able to catch that. But always be anticipating, um, you know, what they might be doing. Pay attention to what they're saying. Um, we have to remember that our kiddos with FASD are not being impulsive to test our nerves or press our buttons, right? They don't have the ability to stop and think through why they should or shouldn't do something. It's, it's, you know, it's concerning and it's a safety issue and we have to be on top of it um, all the time. So for these executive function challenges or for any of the primary symptoms of F FASD that your child presents with, always take the brain into consideration. What does a brain have to do to be able to do the task that I'm expecting my child to be able to do? Is this a task my child routinely struggles with? Instead of punishing or trying some other behavior modification technique, accommodate them. When we support and accommodate, we often see the behaviors that, that we struggle with, um, that, you know, things that they're doing that we struggle with, um, they begin to diminish or become less frequent because we're supporting where it's hard. They're not, you know, one of the things we have to remember is our kids are not on purpose giving us a hard time. They are having a hard time. So we need to find ways to support them. Think brain all the time. Stop fighting and lecturing and punishing. Ask them what they need and listen to what they say. Um, there was an instance where um, I just heard a story recently where there was a school-age girl with an FASD, um, and she was studying for a test in her guidance counselor's office and then had to go back to the classroom to take the test, and she failed the test. So she went back to study, went back to the classroom, and um, she failed the test again. And then finally, she said, just let me take the test in the guidance counselor's office. I can pass it in there. And while this is an example of having a hard time generalizing or like they learn a piece of information in one environment, like in, in the guidance counselor's offices where she was studying and all of the stuff was there, but then when she went into the classroom, she couldn't remember it. But she knew if she could just take the test in the same room she studied in, she could pass it. She came up with that accommodation herself. So they let her take the test in the guidance counselor's office and she passed it. So we need to listen when they say something. They could be very well identifying an accommodation that they need. So, um, you know, consider that. Stop, again, stop fighting and lecturing. Ask them what they need. Listen to them. Start supporting and accommodating based on their symptoms and their strengths. If you have a kiddo like mine who really does much better when it's a small group or especially one-on-one, -on -one, he can do a lot of things if he's got one support person doing it with him, not even necessarily doing it for him, just doing it alongside him. Then he can be very successful. But to do it on his own, he can't work independently. 
he can do his math if I'm sitting at the kitchen counter with him. And, you know, he may need help here and there, but he can complete his math while I'm sitting there working on setting up his reading lesson. But if I get a phone call and go in the other room to take a phone call, he can't stay at the table and work on the math. He can't do it. He goes and does something else. So that's why I don't take the phone calls, right? So we have to set up their environment so that they can be successful and take these things into consideration. So start supporting and accommodating, take the brain into consideration, ask them what they need, provide it, provide those accommodations so that they can be successful. And if you'd like to learn more about FASD, how to apply the neurobehavioral model, how to accommodate for success, you'll want to take advantage of the trainings that we now offer. And again, coming up on Wednesday, April 19th at 7 p.m. Eastern time, I am doing a three-hour online deep dive into FASD using the FACETS neurobehavioral model. Um, There's a lunch and learn, a free lunch and learn coming up uh, on May 11th. That's at on a Thursday, May 11th at 1 p.m. Eastern. And on May 24th, I'm doing another three hour deep dive. Um, And that is Wednesday, May 24th at 7 p.m. Eastern. And in June, uh, we, I will be doing the big one, the, the biggest deep dive. It's, an, it's 18 hours of content broken up over six Wednesday nights uh, online. So to register or to learn more about any of these trainings, any of these workshops, um, visit our website, justicefororphansny.org, and you can click on events to register for any of the above. And again, there is a link in the show notes so that you can follow it um, and check it out. If you're interested in booking me for an online session or an in-person workshop for your group or agency, or um, even if it's just for you yourself, contact me. If, if, If you don't see something on the website and you want something in person, something specific to your group, email me. My name is, my email is my name, Sandra Flack at justicefororphansny.org. And I'll be happy to um, reach, reach back out and, and accommodate you um, with, your, with whatever training you're looking for. So thank you. We're here at the end. Thank you for listening to the Adoption and Foster Care Journey today. I hope you feel encouraged and better supported for your parenting journey. Um, Remember, we also, in addition to the workshops, we have our support community, Hope for the FASD Journey virtual support community. Um, We're a great group of folks who are parents and caregivers of kiddos. Some don't even have diagnosis, but strong belief that they probably were prenatally exposed. And we just link arms and support one another. And we have special guests who share their story and we discuss different topics all the time. So it's a great opportunity. We meet three times per month online. um, And we have a private Facebook group for those members so that we can interact there as well. You can check that out again at the website, justicefororphansny.org. If you enjoyed the show, please leave a review and make sure you subscribe if you're not a current subscriber and let your fellow adoptive and fostering friends know so that they can listen to the show and be encouraged and equipped too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. I myself, Sandra Flack, I'm in both places as well. You can look me up. I am so grateful that you spent your valuable time with me today. I am thrilled to have you along for the journey. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of the Adoption and Foster Care Journey podcast, brought to you by Justice for Orphans. We hope you were encouraged today. Please be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review and share it with your fellow foster and adoptive parent friends so they can be encouraged too. Be sure to find and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Justice for Orphans. And check out our website for vital resources at justicefororphansny.org.